1: Hello, everybody. This is Dr. Susan Hudson. I am here today with Fertility Docs Uncensored, and I'm joined with Dr. Carrie Bedient from Fertility Center of Las Vegas and Dr. Abby Evelyn from Nashville Fertility Center. And we also have our producer today, Brandy Thomas. And we are going to chit-chat about fertility doctors and clinics and all kinds of good stuff today.
2: I feel kind of insecure about uh, my credits there. <laughs> <laughs> your name is Brandy Thomas, right? It is. Yeah, it is. yeah. I would hope you would know your producer's name. But yeah. I <laughs> feel a little,
0: <laughs> doctor, doctor, producer, hi. But, but Brandy's feeling a little different. She had some issues last night. Can tell oh my us gosh. a little bit and about I, your issues, Brandy?
2: This episode, can you, it's going to get crazy because I'm, like, slightly delirious right now. I've been <laughs> kind of delirious all day long. How much caffeine have you had? Oh, my, so much. I mean, I normally— like,
3: sleep did you not have? Like,
2: all. All of the—I didn't get any of the sleep at all. Because?
0: Uh, why did you not get sleep?
2: So, it was really strange. Last night, around, I was, like— Laying in bed, ready to go to sleep. And then I started feeling my feet get kind of hot. Then I started feeling my legs get hot. And I don't know how you guys get fevers, but that's how my fevers start. Is you they see? like start, your fevers like,
3: start in your feet? Yes. Ascending
2: heat. And then it works its way up. And like my legs will literally get red, like beat red before I even feel sick. That's how I know I'm getting a fever. And then it'll like work its way up my spine until I'm like dying. So this started (laughs) happening (laughs) this started happening to me last night, and I'm laying in bed and I have been traveling a lot. I was in New York City last week, and then I was in Texas for a day and then flew out here to Las Vegas. And with the coronavirus going around, <laughs> I'm, like, sitting there, like, I'm about to die in Las Vegas. Like, that's what <laughs> I really, like, I'm not even with my husband. Like, what What am I going to do? So then this fever turns into, like, a full-blown anxiety attack, assuming— that I have the coronavirus now. So do we know uh, that you don't have the coronavirus I don't. I don't. I think, I think I'm okay. You look pretty good. Yeah, like, yeah, I feel... I, I
3: mean, do we need to put a curtain between... I don't... You know, we, like, check, we
2: checked our temperature? Uh, I don't know. That's the weird thing is I woke up and I was like, oh, okay, I'm I'm fine. Like, I'm... I feel okay. So what so, you're really
0: saying is you're hypochondriac.
2: Well, apparently... Well, and I think it's also... There was some inner anxiety based on what we discussed yesterday about (laughs) my fertility, which we'll be discussing in this episode. But I think that might have been like an underlying cause, you know, like it got me in the hypochondriac mindset. And uh
0: so it, uh, ha- it
1: happens to all of us it it
0: does. Does. It does. i can't they, even imagine notoriously as med students usually our second year of medical school we take pathophysiology and you learn about disease processes and sort of the joke amongst people that have been to medical school is that's the year you think you're dying of cancer you think you have leukemia you think you have oh some God. autoimmune condition you Every disease you read about you think you have. Oh, that sounds awful. My, my now
3: husband and I were camp counselors when we were in between med school years and we taught kids who were in high school about medicine. And at one point he looked at me and goes, Oh my goodness, like I am I'm drinking all this water and I'm peeing all the time and I think I have diabetes. And I'm like, I think we're in the middle of summer and it's really hot.
2: <laughs> I can I can't even imagine being doctors and knowing all of the diseases because i already yeah i don't know i only use google and that's what which is bad that's i wouldn't recommend that to anyone
3: you know there's there's a really amazing mug and a t-shirt and a couple other things that says don't confuse your google search with my md <laughs> we may need to get one of those for you i mean normally it's a staple on doctors desk <laughs> when they're feeling snarky but uh, but maybe we need to get you one to remind you of careful of Dr. Google. He went to a questionable medical school. He
2: really did. And do, does that like drive you guys nuts when you have patients come in? and? Well,
0: you know, I think it's great that patients want to own their health and know about their health. But I think you also have to kind of, you know, just because you have a headache doesn't mean you have a brain tumor. And I think it's <laughs> sort of medical judgment, medical training kind of helps you figure out that, you know, that differential probably is really unlikely, you know.
1: Right. I mean, it's just like we thought we were dying of all kinds of things when we were going through medical school. When you sit there and you're, you have a headache and you're Googling headaches, there's all kinds of things. And, and it, it takes time and experience to be able to, you know, figure those things out. And, and you know, that's I, I think one of the beauties of medicine is that um, no matter what your personality, what your interests, there there is a little niche for each of us. Yeah. And fortunately for us, we felt in fell into the niche of um reproductive endocrinology and infertility. Yeah.
3: But watching it was interesting yesterday, Brandy, watching your face as we were <laughs> We were just talking in between episodes. Chit
2: chatting about my sex life. We were chit chatting about your (laughs) sex life. It's a typical thing when you're fertility. Yeah. Yeah. Well,
3: I mean, you've got what, four or five women sitting in a hotel room in Vegas. Things have gotten dirty. (laughs) Which is really funny because I, I don't know that I would register as much of what we've talked about as being all that dirty. What about you, Abby and Susan? it's kind of what like, I talk
0: about every day. I mean this yeah. is
3: normal conversation which yeah. which is, is what we do. Which right. is why you can't take us out in public. <laughs> but watching your face yesterday as we were just chit-chatting and and you had mentioned oh you know kind of thinking about trying kind of thinking about having a baby checking fertility all the stuff in the future but not quite ready now da da and and Susan and I were both sitting there we were like oh well, what what birth control do you use? And what was your
2: answer? The pull and pray.
3: Pull and pray. Right. We've been always, <laughs>
2: what we've always
3: used. And then our next question is, well, how long? Like
2: since forever, since we, seven years now. What, what, what was the look on our faces? Yeah, you, uh, Carrie was like, come in for testing tomorrow. <laughs> like, <laughs> like, <laughs> was, like, wait, what? It's No, it's funny. I actually talked to my mom on the phone after we all discussed this, and I told her, that that's the preventative measure I have been using. And she was like, Brady, why would you do that? That's like Russian <laughs> roulette. <laughs> I was like, I mean, it's always worse. I don't know. But apparently, so it might be, it's not necessarily that it works. Based on what you guys are saying, it's more so that I might have an underlying fertility issue because it shouldn't have worked you, for that you, many years.
1: You may or you may not. Yeah. But you It's know, definitely
0: worth asking the question and getting checked out for sure. Okay. Yes. So so that leads us into our our topic of discussion. How do you select a fertility doctor? Yeah, particularly because Brandy sort of lives close to Susan, but not
3: really. And so normally we would just say, okay, come to the office for whosever town she's in. But she's not right in with any of us. So we got to find her a fertility specialist.
2: Well, and one of the things that I think a lot of women struggle with, because there's a big difference between an OBGYN and a fertility specialist I have had both a male and a female OBGYN, and I know the exams are very personal and very (laughs) extremely, Mm -hmm. they get all up in your business. That's what we do. Yeah. So is that also what to expect at like your first fertility?
1: Uh, Similar but different. Okay. (laughs) So um, just as a little background, the difference between a obstetrician, gynecologist, and a REI or fertility doctor is that... Well, first of all, all of us went through our four years of medical school, and we all went through four years of ob residency. That's what the training period is called. Now, during that training period, most people get between one to four months of fertility training, and the rest of it is helping cover everything else you have to learn. Whereas those of us who are fertility specialists, we did additional training, usually for three years, um, to really get into the depths of knowledge of what makes babies happen.
3: (laughs) When people come into my office and they sit down and they look at the degrees, they're like, good Lord, how long were you in school? I tell them I graduated from the 27th grade. (laughs) <laughs> which is oh which is what it is. By the time you factor in all those years mm-hmm. of training, yeah.
0: yeah, yeah, I was thirty when I finished residency and then fellowship, like thirty three. Yeah, so yeah. it's a long time.
2: So I guess if someone is just having like pain in their downstairs area, I'm trying to I'm trying to think of a medical term, Girl but parts. I'm very tired. Remember, oh, <laughs> yes, yeah, so if they're if they're having pain, they might could just like go to an OB/GYN to get it checked out. But if you're actually trying to conceive and or considering it, or in my case, thinking about it for the future and finding out that that might not be possible, you should probably just go to a
0: fertility specialist. The general rule of thumb is if you've tried, if you're under 35 and you've tried for a year or more, it's probably a good idea to see a fertility specialist. If you're over 35, sort of the time window is shorter. So we say about six months. Uh, I think... You know, we typically ask patients when they come to see us, how long have you been trying? And they'll say, oh, well, we've been using predictor kits or we've been doing, we've been really tracking things for a year, a year and a half. And then the next question usually is, well, how long have you not used birth control? And oftentimes we see those patients and, you know, they may say, I've never used birth control Mm -hmm. or I haven't used anything for five years. Well, that counts whether or not you realize it counts or not. If you're having sex two or three times a week with your partner, probably you're trying to get pregnant. and You just don't realize it. Right.
2: Well, and I will say, my husband and I, we only, we have a once a week rule because I'm tired all the time. <laughs> <laughs>
1: but, <laughs> but in seven years of once a week and using that's something true. that's not a little ex- less reliable, you know, it's something to be checked out. Now you were mentioning what to expect when you go see your fertility doctor. So most of the time when you go see a fertility doctor, you are going to get a little bit more one-on-one time with that fertility doctor than you may your general OB-GYN. Okay. So I would say most general OB-GYN appointments are going to be somewhere between 10 to 15 minutes where most of us are going to probably spend at least 30 minutes with you and potentially your partner really we're, we're diving into the depths here so we're we're really wanting to get some specific information about your periods you having intercourse other medical problems family history all these things we put together and figure out number one what testing you should do and and start leading into what what type of treatment you might need to have
3: And we get pretty nosy on a first date. I mean, we're going to ask things like, does sex hurt? Does he have any difficulties getting an erection? What are your periods like? Are they particularly painful or not or long or short or regular or not? And how often do you have sex? And just... do you use lubricants lubricants? i mean we are nosy have you ever had gonorrhea
0: and chlamydia and let me say there's no judgment here you know we're all humans and but we have to ask those questions so that we can really kind of get at what the, the problem is and you know i think you mentioned that you have pain and i think probably all of us that would be something we'd sort of delve into a little bit more like what causes the pain what prevents the pain when do you have it is it all the time Is it related to your menstrual cycles? A lot of questions that relate to that to see if we can kind of figure out if that fits in with kind of the whole picture.
2: Well, and see, that is... Because it may or may not. Right. Well, and I did go to an OB-GYN when I was much younger. I was like 19. And I had been experiencing pain pretty much since I became sexually active. And I did not know why. And so I went to an OB-GYN to figure out if something was wrong. And they just did an exam and they didn't find anything And then that was that. They were just like, you're okay. And, but I thought that that was weird that like I wasn't provided any sort of, they were just like, you know, maybe try a different position. Like that was, I don't know. it It felt like a,
3: Yeah, I mean, I
0: think for a patient like that, you may prescribe some sort of treatment to kind of help with the discomfort. And then after a reasonable period of time, kind of, and maybe they said this and you didn't get it, or maybe they just didn't say it, but probably what should have happened is they should have followed up with that and figured out, you know, if the pain's not better after some different things that you've tried, Mm -hmm. then maybe you need to have, you know, kind of maybe even a more invasive procedure, either an ultrasound to look at things and maybe even ultimately surgery to see if you might have a condition called endometriosis. Okay. Okay,
2: well, and I guess the the main question I have is from what I remember about my OB/GYN appointments, they were very uh, lots of tools in my <laughs> very uncomfortable cold tools. So in you my... excited to go back again? Is what I'm not hearing. not I, at all. I, no, yeah. I wasn't. You uh, know, if
3: you were, I think I would be more
2: worried. Yeah, <laughs> right, that would be yeah. It was uh, it was very cold. I remember that. Um, <laughs> And so, I guess that's what I'm asking: is is that also what would happen at a fertility
1: appointment the first time? So most of your first fertility appointment is you sitting completely clothed,
2: nice <laughs> with, with your hands, your, hands already,
1: on. already. With, you yes. sold me okay. exactly. And, and a lot of it is talking. Yeah. A lot of it is 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 that discussion. Now there probably is going to be. A a physical exam. Um, More often, it's probably more going to be like an internal ultrasound than necessarily that speculum, that thing that they use when you go get your Pap smear. Um, But it kind of depends on person to person and clinic to clinic. But there, there usually is an exam component, but it's probably not the majority of your visit. Okay. Okay.
2: Well, and what are there any factors that I or anyone else like? What are the main factors I should consider? When seeking out a fertility specialist, like, do you guys have any recommendations for, for that? Like, whether it's where I even go about finding a credible fertility specialist or.
3: ASRM.org stands for the. American oh, my
0: God. I American just Society of Reproductive Medicine.
3: carry my little too. I, yeah, my. My children don't sleep either. So you um, have the
0: coronavirus too. (laughs) (laughs) I have SARS.
3: Um, So I don't think I have the coronavirus. I haven't been to China or anywhere recently. Anywhere, anywhere recently besides coming (laughs) down here. Um, But ASRM.org is our national society. And that... That organization publishes a lot of information that's really good. Now, they also manage a lot of the boarding. So board certification is what we all have gone through. So it means that when you graduate from the 27th grade, in order to be fully board certified as a fertility specialist, you've taken not only this, the two sets of exams to become an OBGYN, but the two sets of exams to become a fertility specialist. And that shows a higher level of commitment towards getting the information that is needed and staying current with that information. Um, and so you can usually find off of the ASRM website who is boarded and who is not. And so that's, that's one helpful little litmus test to say, okay, who should I go see?
2: Okay. Gotcha. Well, this is kind of a weird question. uh, And this might just be for me. I am really, I'm every time I've gone to a doctor or a therapist or anything, I'm always very conscious of like the type of patient that I am. I I don't, I I always leave feeling like I forgot to ask questions or I just, I didn't give them the full picture of the issue that I have. Mm
0: -hmm.
2: What, what is the ideal scenario for you guys in terms of patients? Like how should we prepare Before we come see you, is there any necessary preparation?
0: Like,
3: We don't expect you to come in with the diagnosis already made. Yeah, (laughs) Yeah.
0: So don't over-prepare. Come come Come. as you are. Come as you are. We'll take care of the rest. That's what we're trying to do. Okay. (laughs) Now,
3: if you know that you are someone who is likely to have questions but then forgets to ask them. Write them down. Write them down. Okay. Because all of us have had that situation where we go, we know, we've said, Okay, this is the plan. Have a wonderful day. Hand is on the doorknob. And as you're walking out, there's one last question. And and sometimes that can completely upend the plan. So it is very because it reveals something to us of, oh, hey, you're asking about this. Does this mean X, Y, and Z? And then we we have to turn things down. So it's very helpful both for you and for us if you've written down your questions ahead of time, because then we can give you that information in an organized fashion.
1: And we would all rather answer your questions than you go to Dr. Google. Right. Okay. Amen. Yeah. Who, yeah, is clearly just not, not creditable,
2: you know? <laughs> <laughs> uh, so, so let's say I'm pretty young right now. I'm 28 and mm-hmm. I don't think I'm ready yet to That's okay. have a baby, but I have obviously thought about it for the future. Like maybe planning when I'm like 34, 35, something like that. Mm-hmm. So if, if, you guys are just now telling me that I there's a chance that I might have an issue. <laughs> this is a bad question to ask and kind of reflects me as a person, but how long can I wait until, <laughs> until I have to really take action? Like, until it's like, okay... You really got to get the sooner the better. Okay. You know,
0: with knowledge, you know, there's power. And, you know, even though you may go to a fertility specialist and they may recommend something, it doesn't mean you have to do what they recommend immediately. At least it'll give you the information. You can think about it. You can talk about it with your partner. And then you guys can decide on your timetable when you want to start or what you want to do.
1: And, and there are some things having to do with fertility that time doesn't matter. Okay. Uh, like if somebody's tubes aren't working well, if they're not working well now, they're not necessarily going to be working well later, but that that really doesn't make a difference. Whereas if perhaps your ovaries aren't working well, if you waited three or four years to find that out, you might have actually missed your window. Oh. And, and that window is not necessarily that you had to get pregnant in that timeframe, but you may have needed to do something to make sure you could get pregnant In your time frame.
0: Oh, okay. And we've mentioned in previous episodes, but not in this one that, you know, women are born with all their eggs that they'll ever have. And over time, that egg number declines and the quality of those eggs, the chromosomal quality, the genetic material inside changes as they get older. So that's why I think if you speak with any fertility professional, they'll say there is, you know, when somebody says, well, is it, when should I get pregnant? Can I wait? We always say there is no time like the present. But for some younger women, in reality, it's not quite as time-sensitive as it would be for women in their late 30s, early early 40s, for example. So when
1: is the optimal time to, for now, women? Now, that's what we'll, I just said, now. I'm not ready for a baby. <laughs> but, you but you don't have to be ready for a baby now. But you can get the information now and figure out when, based on that information, it is your time frame. Okay. Okay, so there, there's some findings that if you came in and say, your ovaries were acting like somebody's 38 instead of somebody who's 28, you might choose to freeze eggs or embryos now so that when you are 35, 36, which is kind of your ideal timeframe, you can have a baby. Okay. Okay. And, and so what we're trying to say is the sooner you go in, the more options you will have later. Guess so right. if you're, ovaries aren't working well now, and you don't find that out for five, six years, then maybe your only option might be using something like donor eggs. Oh, okay. Versus if you knew it six years beforehand, we maybe could have frozen your eggs or embryos so that you could have used your genetic material instead.
2: Gotcha. So, like, if I went in and got testing and it was showing signs that there was something wrong with my ovaries, Mm -hmm. there still might be some eggs in there that you guys can't freeze. Correct. Versus, like, okay, gotcha. So, in terms of... the. I'm going to have to like totally change who I am as a person to do this. I'm really great at like avoiding problems until the last minute, you know. Uh, In terms of cost, what kind of with insurance and without, what are the associated costs with that? Because I've heard a variety of things. I know some insurance carriers cover fertility treatment or at least like the consultation. Sometimes they cover IVF. It really depends
3: on what your insurance is. And so what... What I have found in my clinic is that probably 80% or more of my patients have at least diagnostic coverage, meaning the visit to come in and see me and talk about everything and most of the tests that we do leading up to treatment are covered so we have found that that's very common that is not true
1: everywhere and, and that varies from state to state in texas that that's very true about 80 percent of people have coverage however in tennessee it sounds like about 40 percent of people have coverage I would for, say 40% for diagnosis. Has
0: some sort of insurance coverage maybe a little higher for diagnostic treatment but, okay so but,
1: not quite 80 percent. probably not quite 80 percent. And, and there are even some states that are what we call mandated States, that they have much higher rates of of fertility coverage. So it's going to vary from state to state. And then it also varies based on what your employer has in their package. So it really doesn't matter if you have United or Blue Cross Blue Shield or Aetna or Cigna, whatever brand it is, it has to do with what did the you know, what executives, did the select? Exactly. What did the employer select as part of your coverage package? Okay. And so
0: many offices, I, I can't speak to Susan or Susan or Carrie's office, but in our office, if somebody's interested in IVF, we, we have two or three people in our office that all they do is look at insurance coverage. And essentially what they'll do is they'll go for you and kind of figure out what's covered in your plan and kind of let you know. So that you have a, a leg up on that no, because that's that's a big issue with a lot of people um, not seeking fertility cover or treatment because they just think it's going to cost so much.
2: Well, and I think that would be the one thing that would prevent me because as a freelancer, obviously I do not have insurance, and mm-hmm. so I know that it, that even just going to the, to a regular doctor's appointment is extremely mm-hmm. expensive. What are what is the cost of of if I were to go and schedule an appointment with one of you? I'm sure it varies from practice to practice, but do you guys have like a range of, like, the cost of a just an appointment, like a diagnostic appointment?
3: So what we do is we do a seminar every month. And it's a free seminar. It happens usually first or second Wednesday of the month. And anybody who comes to that seminar the cost of their first consultation is 100 bucks.
2: Oh, okay. And
3: so it helps to remove that barrier of just getting them in for the first time to have the discussion. And so it's actually really nice because my patients who have gone to the seminar first, they hear everything I say twice. So they, in the seminar, we go through what you need to make a baby in terms of the, the biology involved and how we do the testing and just general overview of what the treatments are. And then they come in to see me and I'm going through all of their personal data, but they already know a lot of what I'm going to say about testing. The other thing that we do is same in our offices in Abbeys. there's a person who specializes in all the insurance and billing and that nonsense that I don't want any part of <laughs> and they help figure out the logistics. And what we found is sometimes it doesn't make a difference who orders a test. I can order it and it's all covered. Sometimes if their OBGYN orders it or their regular doc orders it, it's all covered. But if I order it, it's not. And so we work with our colleagues to help figure that out. And most fertility offices know, okay, this is where we have to send patients with this insurance. And this is where we send patients who don't have insurance because this is the best pricing in town for whatever it is we need to do.
1: Mm-hmm. Okay. And, and also know that there are a number of financing companies that um, if you do need help paying for treatment down the road, and, and realize not everybody, actually a very small percentage of people need IVF, that there are often least aggressive ways for us to get people pregnant, but there, there are financing options specifically available for people who are needing fertility care. Uh, and so they come with better interest rates and things like that.
2: Okay, gotcha. So that's it. Sounds like there's a lot of different options where regarding your budgetary restrictions, mm-hmm. and you guys are willing to work. That's really wonderful. So this question is is kind of weird. Um, I feel like I've I've prefaced all of my questions with like this might be a little weird, uh, but it's really just based on I'm thinking back to like times that I've been to the doctors and things that have made me hesitant about like actually going in. Okay, so I'm skeptical about certain doctors, like dentists. I'm always very skeptical <laughs> about. Uh, I have gotten root canals that I later found out I didn't actually need. Um, and it, it, so it's always made me, and I realized, like after the fact, that he didn't actually show me. I didn't see my X-rays. I just let him give me root canal, like which, like mean, that wasn't mm. a great idea. Um, it, is there anything that you guys do? for your patients that kind of like verifies the issue? Or is there anything that someone might want to look out for? Like if a doctor, if a fertility specialist doesn't share certain pieces of information with
0: them, does that ever happen in that in your field? Well, I think probably the Best way to really kind of know that somebody's reputable is sometimes it's really good if you have a relationship with your OBGYN. They generally know the doctors in the community and they can give you referrals. Mm-hmm. Um, I think other patients are helpful too. Um
1: referral from friends, that's huge exactly. because they know your personality and you know their personality. And so if your friend has a good experience with a certain group or doctor, you know, there's going to be an increased likelihood that you're going to have a a good comfortable feeling as well.
2: Okay. So there's not anything that you guys would say like would be a big red flag? Like if I went to a fertility specialist and they didn't?
0: Well, I think sometimes, you know, we have lots of different ways to help you get pregnant. I think the younger you are, and at least in my personal experience, the less things that I find that are problematic or, you know, I, I tend to move slower to more aggressive therapy. So you know, I think in some situations, maybe some doctors may move a lot more quickly to IVF. And, you know, IVF is certainly a a great treatment. It's the quickest route to pregnancy, the most successful, but it's also the most expensive. Mm -hmm. And so I think it's really good for your doctor, the doctor you see, to give you options and not say, oh, we have to do IVF. I mean, there's certain situations. At
1: least discuss the pros and cons of other options. Right. Mm -hmm. So that you have a full picture of what are the options. Some of the options Though they are options, maybe not good options for you, <laughs> yes. okay? But they are at least options. And that way you can be like, okay, well, I understand why that would be a bad idea. I understand why that would be a bad idea. I understand why this would be a much better idea.
2: Right. Well, and is there ever a situation where you would just have to do IVF, where you could not first try medications? Like, what kind of health issues?
3: If your tubes are blocked. Okay. Okay. Typically going straight to IVF. A lot of people come in and say, Hey, can I have surgery to repair my tubes? And I don't know about both of your practices. We we tend to go straight to IVF, mostly because the surgeries for someone who has a non-specific reason for why their tubes are blocked. Like if someone's had their tubes tied and you want to repair those tubes, that's one thing. But if you don't know why your tubes are blocked or you had a prior history of infection and that's why, it's typically not a good idea because even if you open them up, they still don't function the same way. You're at a much higher risk of a tubal pregnancy and it's just not really a good idea. So that may require
0: a second surgery after you've already had mm-hmm. the first. Surgery. Yeah, it's a tubal
1: pregnancy, it's a pregnancy topic. in the wrong place. Oh my gosh, and that could actually be a life threatening condition so you for you. Get a woman. pregnant like in your tubes, you can yeah. actually. When natural conception happens, egg and sperm fertilize in the tube and that little embryo has to travel up the tube to implant inside the uterus. Okay.
3: And there's all these really delicate hairs on the inside of the tube. So if those have gotten damaged by, let's say, a prior infection, either chlamydia or you've had endometriosis or what have you, then those hairs don't work. And unfortunately, we can't test that. And so whenever I hear that someone's had that prior particularly infection history, I worry about the status of the inside of their tubes because those hairs push the egg and sperm together and then they help push the egg down or push the embryo down to the uterus. And they're hormonally responsive and depends on the time of the month and and even which side the egg is coming from. That side is more active in doing its job. But if those have been damaged, then no surgery is gonna fix that. So tubal damage is a big reason. You go straight to IVF. Um, very, very low sperm counts is another good reason to go straight to IVF because the lesser treatments just don't just don't work as well and they can even increase your risk, particularly for tubal pregnancies.
0: Or I would add in too, if time is not on your side, if you're yeah, thirty nine or forty or somewhere in that age range. You know, we're really worried about your biological clock, and you may not be able to spend six or eight months trying to get pregnant. We want you to get pregnant pretty quickly, right? Or,
1: or somebody who's younger and may have ovaries that are that are acting like somebody who's thirty nine or right. forty. Yeah. So it's the same ball game whether your age or your ovaries are acting that age. I bet that's what it is. I bet I have elderly ovaries.
2: I wouldn't worry about, like about that too years. much. Older than I. That's what it is. I'm tired all the time. You know, who knows? <laughs> <Okay>. <laughs> well, this has been really great information for me i hope it has i know i got really personal with the questions but i hope it's been great for for our audience too i i can i i'm just gonna have all of you be my fertility doctors how about that
3: we are here for you okay. every here step. For absolutely. absolutely absolutely you awesome
1: thank you for answering my questions
3: our pleasure anytime
1: well this was fertility docs and thank, thank you, you. bye, bye. bye.